0: Hi there. Just before we get started, a content warning. There is mentions of infant loss and miscarriage. If anybody listening finds this upsetting, please do see the description for some links to some help and support services that you can access. Thank you for listening. The aim of the show is to get to know, explore, and celebrate the diverse and intersectional range of people on this rock we call home, and their love and passions of it. We'll find out why guests identify as geographers, and if they don't exactly, we'll have fun exploring all the myriad of ways that connects their life to geography. So, pour your favourite brew, get cosy, and listen in. Oh, and don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at Coffee Jog Pot. Off we go. Hello everybody and at time of recording we are now into June, it is the first of June so pinch punch first day of the month and all that nonsense. I am joined by a good friend of mine, a geography teacher, secondary geography teacher Hina Robertson. Hello Hina.
1: Hello. Hello, it's lovely to see you and hear you yes and hear you too <laughs>
0: have you been um so it's for everyone listening who doesn't know it's it's what we call half term break or a mid-semester break if you're elsewhere not in the uk <laughs> um and so hina has been hopefully enjoying some time off quote unquote time off <laughs> so how's your week been going so far i hope you've been getting some r&r in
1: oh yeah definitely your week off we've been doing an activity holiday so um, done stuff like wall climbing Trapeze, I I chickened out on the zip wire, um, <laughs> archery, that kind of thing. So far, so yeah, properly away from work,
0: putting me to shame because like still like <laughs> the, the kid, the kids and I and the, the family were just kind of like still kind of milling around our hometown at the moment. Haven't really gone anywhere too ambitious, but hey ho so I'm pretty jealous of you it sounds pretty cool so Hina is a secondary geography teacher with various responsibilities she is a mum to two girls plus two angels passionate about geography and getting everyone to listen and act on how it can change the world soon to be on the board of the UK's Geographical Association and also a chair of a primary school governing body now organising all aspects of life apart from at home she says always need more sleep loves trying out new crafts and things and reading when you have time so oh so two angels please um tell us a little bit about that hina
1: So I've got two girls um but before my two girls were born I um unfortunately lost twin boys um mm. so I always say that I'm a mum of four uh because they are oh. angels I gave birth to them naturally so you know I've held them etc so they are two angels but I think it's really important to talk about it because there's so many people that have gone through miscarriage or baby loss and so many people that think it's a taboo subject and it's not so I'm quite open um, about about the fact that happened to me Um, and it actually shapes who I am a little bit because I'm so much stronger having gone through that Um, and they are part of my life even though they didn't come home. Um, So yeah, so I always say I'm a mum of four. Uh,
0: And how old would they be now?
1: So they'd be 13.
0: 13. Yeah. Have you got that picture in your head about what they would be like right now? They got that kind of morphing into kevin the teenager kind of thing oh they'd be
1: proper little monkeys they'd be (laughs) assuming they had one of their sisters they'd be terrorizing them i'm pretty certain yeah
0: (laughs) i don't know i don't know i think the sisters could probably hold their own given that i've got a younger (laughs) sister yeah um no hina that's absolutely thank you so much for sharing that with us all and and um i my family has also have had losses as well Um, we've been through some uh, miscarriages and, and one ectopic pregnancy as well um, so it, it is really really um, it can be quite traumatic at the time but you're absolutely right it's something that does happen you know it's part of the the natural order of the world and, and the more of us talk about it and understand and, and the uh, you know the better for everybody really and uh, we, we keep thinking to ourselves that you know if, if things didn't play out the way that they played out we wouldn't have the precious children we do right now so exactly you know it's it's the way of it's the way the world works and we and we know that um we're very very lucky and we understand that life is precious in that manner so I do appreciate you sharing that Hina thank you um you mentioned that you uh kind of like to pick up some crafts and stuff so is yeah. there anything that you've been up to recently with your, with your cra- crafting or anything like so
1: that? Easter holidays I taught crochet.
0: crochet yep.
1: I thought that went quite well so yeah crochet moment that's the latest one um so much so that I've volunteered to do enrichment with the year six induct, yes though, the year, the six form induction, sorry, uh, crochet sessions then as well, which is a bit brave of me because I've cool. just learnt myself. But um, diamond painting recently as well. Um, paper cutting inspired by uh, Rob Chambers, another geographer, because he does some really good uh, paper cutting. So inspired by that to do that. Um, Cross stitch. Yeah. I'll try my hand at most things. <laughs> um, I like making front door wreaths. So I've got one for each season almost oh. now.
0: Yeah, why do they have to only be for Christmas?
1: Yeah, no, I've got one on my front door now. It's spring, summery, yeah. Oh, well, there you go.
0: Yeah, well, not just you're not just for that one holiday that not everybody in the world celebrates, but, you know, for every single type of holiday, yeah, exactly. you can have a wreath for every special event.
1: Makes your door really pretty. I really like yeah. it. So, yeah. Oh,
0: okay. I'm going to have to talk to you about that a bit later when we're, when we're quote, unquote, off air. I know we're not live, <laughs> but, you know, I just want to sound professional. <laughs> so, you know, we've... um. We've named this podcast Coffee and Geography because not only are we talking about geography, but we try to map our brews and beverages so listeners can have a little investigation of just one of the countless ways we're interconnected around the world. So what is the brew you have with you?
1: Right. While I do love coffee, this particular one is a Wittard Dreamtime tea. Um, it's flavors of honey, apricot and vanilla. And it's like a bedtime drink, but I just find it really soothing. Um, and it tastes lovely um so it's my it's my favorite but i can't have it all day long it's just one of those go-to when you need a bit of comfort drinks wait i used to i used to
0: be into those is that where you get them in the tin and they're like powder basically
1: yeah yeah yeah
0: yes those ones yeah, yeah i used to be hooked on those for a bit of time like and i used to make sure i had i had the um there was a morning one i can't remember what it was called now but i know it was like a yellow kind of where it had the sun on it and there was yeah. an evening one which had the moon on it and I was like I was religiously like having yeah. the morning one and then having the evening one yeah there you go it looks lovely so there was a lovely blue yeah a blue decoration with a moon on it cool okay excellent we'll map that one then so you are currently in Essex, which is my home county, so um, not too far away from, from where you are in a town called um, Rayleigh. And if people don't know where that may be, then they may have instead of heard of South End on Sea, which is a popular seaside resort that's about twenty to twenty-five miles east of the centre of London. So then, Hina, um have you lived in Rayleigh all your life or that area all your life or
1: No nope. Rayleigh's been thirteen years. South Essex has been twenty something years, 21 years. Before that, North London. Not including university days, obviously, because that was in Salford. But um, yeah, I'm I'm a I'm a Londoner, really. Born and bred in northwest London. So yeah. So what part of London? Edgeware. Edgeware, um, okay. Yes, end of the Northern Line uh is where I grew up. <laughs> I
0: can't believe it. This is completely accidental, everybody. If I'm lucky enough to have regular listeners, right? They are going to recognise that you're now the third guest I've had in a short space of time that have either lived or are living on along the north. Third. <laughs> so we've had um, our first guest, Glynis, who is at the end of the, the other end of the northern line in Morden. Then we had uh, Katie Walter. Who's in Tooting, and so and then yep. yourself in Edgeware. So um, <laughs> that's really. I tell you what, I'm going to make it my my. Um, we should have that as a subplot for this podcast <laughs> to try and get someone at each stop of the Northern Line. I think at this rate.
1: <laughs> so how each does each branch? Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Now I'm gonna. I mean, I I know myself because I know the area quite well. You know, North London, kind of south southwest Essex. Myself being from Harlow in Essex, so I'm gonna um, kind of. Play devil's advocate here. Surely kind of northwest London, the Edgware area, and then coming out towards South End, surely it just all looks the same, isn't it? It's all the kind of same landscape. They're all satellite images that have been swallowed up by London's urban sprawl or something. Or, or can you actually tell us, is there actually a more distinctness between these two areas that you've noticed?
1: Yeah, I think there is. I think some of it's in the roads and just people driving and things like that you <laughs> notice. just But yeah, there is. I think really... Maybe not so much Southend centre, but Rayleigh itself is sort of outside of the main conurbation bit of Southend. So conurbation really, you know, it's all sprawl Um, and it does feel more, not countryside, but more town feeling Mm. than London, which is a city. So I think there's more identity of local area here, whereas Edgeware, Burntuck, Harrow, all those bits of London can just join together and become one big block of place. so you know they're very different in terms of the makeup of people and just life every day i mean like you know you notice a sunday in this part of the world whereas in london you don't notice a sunday particularly because <laughs> everything just carries on like it does every other day of the week um so yeah i do think there is a difference you do sort of feel different you know essex is, has got its own feel about it that's different to london and i know people that live on the east east london essex border bit which could count as both yep. have their own feelings about whether it should be part of london or essex like
0: Romford, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah
1: exactly and epping and places like that yep.
0: yeah yeah my mum's from epping and and we, we we don't really know whether she's a Londoner or just the, or an essex girl so you exactly know. yeah exactly and um it's what's really interesting about places like London's Me I mean you know you, you mentioned East London you know you got Upminster Hornchurch you know Dagenham, Ilford Barkin and they all were villages or small towns themselves before London grew out into them and then kind of swallowed them up and then and then when I used to kind of go around those areas for visiting family and friends things like that it's like you, you're right it's it's Unless you live there, you can't really tell the difference between one mm-hmm. place and the next. And I know that if anyone from Dagenham is listening, or Rainham is listening, or this is going, ah, we have our own distinct little thing going on. So this is why I want more people to come on the come on the show, of course. But yeah, then but then when I go um, and look at the map and I look at the South End and Rayleigh area, I mean you've got Basildon. I've been, I had friends in Basildon, um, <laughs> and you know, but you've got. It's really interesting that they almost are connecting together. Like Basildon and Wickford and Rayleigh and Hockley yeah. and they're almost, but they've got just enough of a green kind of halo around them. Do you make a use of that green space quite a lot? Or do you think that green space has prominence? Does it is it quite clear that you're out of London that respect?
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh, there is so much green space around here, it's ridiculous. You know, you can go to a different woodland. Um, or different green space every weekend for weeks and not go back to the same one. Um, There's this thing called the Saffron Trail, which leads from um, Shoebury all the way, I think it goes as far as Chelmsford, but you basically can go through green spaces all the way um, whether it be woodland or along the coast or whatever it might be. Uh, but, yeah, open space, it's ridiculous how long it is. But, yeah, there is so much green space. But apparently, Rochford as a district, which is what Rayleigh's in, has one of the lowest in terms of number of trees compared to other – like the places in London with more trees. Really? But we've. I think it's because if you look at proportion, there's a lot of fields and there's farms. Um, so, therefore, that sort of counts out the woodland part um but you don't feel like it's not it's very green around here you no know? and we discovered places quite close to us during first lockdown but we didn't know existed you're like how have we yeah. lived here for this long and not known they were there so yeah lots and lots of green space and there's all the whole whole extra developments being built and lots of people complaining and going hands off our green belt a lot of that going on around <laughs> here at the
0: moment. Yeah, and that's interesting you mentioned what is because uh we actually mentioned um you know dan Raven ellison again that's the second shout out to you now dan third time you have to come on the show it's it's obligatory um and where you know we talked about london national park city uh i honestly forgot what guest it was we talked to about no it was with katie water actually because um she's now a ranger for london national park city and the other thing that dan's done of course is is led the project led is the slow ways so as soon as you were talking about like walking all the way up to chumpsford and things like that and having i was thinking now of the slow ways kind of thing and we'll have Mm to that'll be something we could probably talk about another time but um How do you feel inside, though? Do you feel like um, you still feel like an edgware person or are you now definitely like kind of out there in the Essex? How do you feel? Does your sense of identity link to your sense of place, do you think?
1: I think it's both still because when I go back, I'm home still. Not that I've been back for a while, but, yeah, it's still home. Um, But it's very different because the ethnic makeups are very different Mm. diversity-wise. So, you know, I go home to edgware and it's more – what I've grown up with. So therefore, I feel like I fit in in some ways there and in other ways, I'm definitely part of the rainy furniture now kind of thing, you know, <laughs> been here for so long, yeah. you know, know people all over the place. So yeah, I would still say it was a bit of both. Um, it's like when you go to university and you go north and like, you're still always going to be a southerner, even though you're north and you come back and everyone's like, you've still got, you you picked up a bit of a northern accent, not a southern southerner anymore. You know, you don't fit in anywhere properly. You go
0: as far north as Salford, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you get othered quite a bit while you were out up in Salford? Like you're definitely a southerner. Did you get that? Yeah, lot? I
1: mean there were other southerners there, but it was definitely a thing. Yes, <laughs> definitely a thing.
0: See, for me, for me, Norwich is as far north as i went in terms of living and stuff like that. Crikey, enough! I do feel out of place when I go up to things like 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 Manchester even to to see friends up in Edinburgh and things like that. But it's it's fun. It's fun. But um, you definitely look around and think, I feel so out of place here. I'm just southerner yeah. through and through. <laughs> <laughs> so that's fantastic cool i mean yeah well if i do when i did live in essex myself i you know i was too young to appreciate getting out and about and and harlow being this new town which had been built around green space and and satellite neighborhoods and things like that mm. i was spoilt that i didn't really need to leave that town in order to get my green space feel but you know and then the old jaunt down to epping forest and stuff like that so i never really got to see the essex countryside to be honest in fact i've seen far far less of the essex countryside than i have of the suffolk and norfolk countryside so it's such mm. a shame so what we'll have to do here you now we'll have i'll we'll have to come down with the family and we'll have to go out for a little jaunt little walk ah oh, definitely cool ah st- sticking to your location then so we call this little segment spill the beans because you've got to tell us all about this Right, so here's the beans being spilled.
1: <laughs> so
0: you do ballet classes in a village just up the road, I believe.
1: Yeah, well, it's in Rainy still. Oh, right. Yeah, um, I do ballet. Um, so I'm really unfit. Like, I'm not very good with exercise. I don't go to the gym. I can't be doing any of that stuff. I can't run. So I thought, you know, I've got to do something. And my daughter's dance school a few years ago said we're going to start adult ballet. For complete beginners that's fine or you can be a bit more experienced whatever doesn't matter anyone can come i'm like i'm gonna try it if both the girls are doing ballet i've got to have a go um anyway so i went along i said you know i'm rubbish i've got no flexibility (laughs) i'm really unfit but i'd like to give it a go and they were like you know come and try it because you won't be the only one i went and it's a class you know started there were some people who've been doing it for ages i'm like oh my goodness anyway started it and i just Thought I love this. I've actually got into it. I thought some of it's really hard and honestly, oh my gosh, did I hurt the next day as <laughs> the day after my thighs, particularly. But I just thought, yeah, I like this. I can do this. So there i will never perform in front of anybody, but I feel like I'm exercising. Now, obviously, the last year and a half or whatever, I've not done that much of it for obvious reasons. Um, We've done a bit on Zoom, but it's not the same. But, yeah, it's just so nice to do something that I never, ever thought I would try. And it's got to my 40s before I've tried it, but I've actually really liked it. And now when my girls are trying to practice for stuff and they're talking about different positions and different... um, moves they do in ballet i know what they're talking about which is great but for me it's my only form of regular Mm -hmm. exercise although it hasn't been starting again next week i can't wait and now one of my really good friends is doing it with me as well which is even better um and it's just a little bit of fun um but it's really important to sort of exercise so i don't do any and that's my way of doing it if i say to people like give you three things which one might not be true about me everyone's always going to say you don't do ballet because i haven't got ballet bodies or anything Outside your comfort zone, doing something outside your comfort zone is really important. You know, I couldn't jump off a zip wire, but I went to ballet classes and I could do that, and it was totally out of my comfort zone, but I liked it.
0: And it's fantastic. You're going to have a friend come along as well, because then it's re- rebuilding the, the you know the social aspect of it as well, which is fantastic, which is we're all dying for at the moment. You know, as we as we slowly, yeah. smoothly get back to a, a normal, a new normal of some kind. And did does is ballet one of those things where when you 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 watch it on TV? I mean. One of my favorite mood noir movies is Black Swan with Natalie Portman. And I was like, but when I watch that kind of stuff or or we watch kind of performances and stuff like that, I I never get like a real true sense of like the skill, the the technicality of all. I mean, I know there is that there and that I could never do it. Um, But is is it like when you do it yourself, do you have like a whole new level of appreciation of what these
1: people do? Yeah. Do you know what? I get the technical so well. I can't execute it <laughs> every time at all, but I get it. So, you know, when they're like, your leg needs to do this or this is what your muscles are doing to make that move or whatever. I totally understand it in my head. <laughs> it all works perfectly. Try and put it like grand jetés. I've got a thing with the grand jeté that I just cannot do it. Um, and, you know, it is sort of just, I can understand the process behind it. There's lots of process, but yeah, I can't execute. What is a gr- grand jeté, then? What is that? It's sort of, it's a leap but then you sort of swap legs as you leap in the air and you land on the different legs of the one you've come off with. Yeah, I
0: can picture it on my head. It sounds like it's one of the classic moves kind of thing. The only one I remember is plie, which is like the kind of dainty. Yeah, plies are easy. You can do plies.
1: But I'm not very bendy, so I can't go very low down on plie. And pirouettes. I know exactly how to do a pirouette. I just, and I can sort of do one. But I can't do the head spin and keep your head oh. in the right place and all that stuff and the, and the knee out to the side and everything else. There's so much going on. Honestly, I think the people that do ballet on a regular basis, they must hurt yeah. a lot because like, what you've got to do to your body to keep that going is crazy.
0: Rediscovering muscles you've forgotten you had or something.
1: <laughs> yeah, so next Thursday I will be aching because I haven't done it oh. for so long and I'll be going Wednesday night because adults are allowed to do that kind of thing again now. But so. I can
0: tell in your voice that you're looking forward to it.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. So I'm going to go from um, Southend to Shanghai now because let's, let's go back and talk a little bit about um, some geography now. And this little segment is called uh, Jog Your Memory. So what we've got to do, we're going to talk about a geographical kind of moment in time, a significant part, a piece of history or something. And... I know you know the answer because you've talked about it so many times, but people who maybe not know the answer can guess of the year that this significant event took place. So um, what we have, we've all heard. So what's today? Today's the 1st of June. Um, people are probably hearing this at the end of July, start of August, but yesterday, the 31st of May, we were all, I wouldn't say blown over because I think us as geographers knew this was coming or had seen this coming a long time ago. But, There was a significant moment in um, an ongoing historical event, which was reported by media outlets across the world. And that was that China had announced that it would allow couples to have up to three children after census data showed a steep decline in birth rates. And everyone who may be aware of it, of course, we're referring to the infamous one child policy and their population control. Now we as geographers, Hina, kind of saw this coming, didn't we? Because... One thing we've taught quite a fair bit in schools is the, you know, the consequences of population control, of forced population control and efforts to do that kind of stuff. What's your take on on what's uh, this news about China relaxing their rules well, going completely the opposite direction, saying, no, we want to encourage you to have children now?
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, because they've gone to two. And then because I've seen the stories recently about the fact that you've got People don't want to have lots of children because, they you know, the grandparents generally are looking after those children while the parents are working and they're getting older and they're like, well, because obviously they delayed when you could have children didn't they as well so families are older and they're struggling to cope with one grandchild so you know actually having more is actually going to cause more strain on family life in general so that their whole that whole social norm of having the larger families gone from china already so when they were like "Oh, we're going to try and get three well yeah their population is declining especially in the cities so it was a natural order of things that were going to go that way because China is still communist to a certain mm. extent. So they're still trying to have some of that control. I don't think they're going to succeed. I don't think people are going to have three children. It's just not going to happen. They're barely having two at the moment. So, um, you know, it's. I just find it's always been when I've I've liked teaching, but it's so important to give the before story and the what's happened since story so you've got to explain why they needed the one child policy in the first place and the run-up to the whole let's get everyone off the farms and into the industry and all the rest of it
0: yeah
1: um and the cultural revolution you need to have a little bit of that background and the other thing we always talk about danger of a single story but this is the opposite this is a single story only China have ever done this. You cannot, as a, as a student, say, this country needs to put one child policy in, because it's not going to work anywhere else in the whole mm-hmm. world. So it is where we've always gone, be careful of a single story. In this particular case, it is a single story. And I think you have to keep up to date with it, because I think there are still people teaching it, going, this is what China are doing, and haven't done any of the developments, which is quite scary. Um so, yeah, I think it was a natural order for the way China was going to go, but it's not going to work, I don't
0: think. I was going to mention this later, but this is a perfect time to mention this because of what you just said. So, yeah, so the issue is like a, a single issue which is taking place and that you're trying to implement that over a billion of people, which is, we know that there's, variations in the rule like in the rural areas i mean the one child policy is a bit of a bit of a misnomer we know that we know that there were some areas of china where they were allowed to have more than one if their first was was a girl for example in some parts but uh, i just want to give a shout out to uh, victoria hewitt mrs humanities because um within that single narrative you have multiple stories you have multiple experiences that come into it and um, the reason why i mentioned victoria is because back in 2017 she um asked in a tweet um about is there any suggestions for books that give a first-hand account of living in china you know with regards to the one child policy and uh, i'll put the link in into the description of the podcast but there were some fantastic um suggestions that were, were given like katherine owen our second guest you know suggested something mark answered um suggested something of you know of of giving these really powerful stories you know of how this single thing this single blanket thing kind of was affecting all these individuals um and it really does go i want to i want to come back to talk about the fact that we really want to be important about putting humanity back into humanities and humanity back into geography so we'll we'll, we'll put that just on the back burner and we'll come back to that but yeah you mentioned things like um you know the the great leap forward and and Trying to shift rapidly from an agricultural to an industrial, and then that caused all hells of problems and famine and a death rate. When, and of course that that meant that the birth rate rebounded extensively because, of course, you have more deaths, more infant mortality. You got more higher births to, and you can see that in the statistics of this lag of the birth. So, China has been trying to play God in that respect. The, you know, it's creating all these knock on problems. So, and their birth rate was declining to an extent anyway before this meddling and it was can it would decline naturally anyway but as you just said tell us a little bit more about the natural reasons why birth rates would decline anyway
1: natural reasons well as you get as a country develops i suppose you say people have more money the reasons for having children change um and therefore people are putting their own education their own careers etc before having children so they're having children later anyway in life and therefore likely to have fewer of them it's about the social norms changing there and and all countries are going through that at different varying levels, but it varies across the country. So, you know, the pop, the birth rates will change more rapidly in a city than they will in the countryside. Because in the countryside, if you've got a family farm, you know, your incentive for having fewer children isn't quite the same. Um, so those things were always, always going to change. And I think, you know, they pushed in China particularly, they pushed so hard for increasing the birth rate before yes. 1979. That it was always that as long as you stop pushing people it was naturally going to change yeah. anyway but you know it didn't so we you know when I'm teaching about birth rates dropping and the difference you know we still do DTM a little bit because you've still I think it's it's got its uses still demographic transition model in case anyone's not sure yeah. what I'm talking about um, it still has its uses to a certain extent you've got to critique it obviously um, but you know you talk about countries that are supposedly the developed ones, the HICs, high income countries now, and also going into level five of what that is. And I use myself as an example. Well, you know, I've got, I chose not to have children until a certain age because I put my career first and therefore my time for having children is less. So I have fewer of them, you know, potentially. And I sort of use that example. What I do love though, is talking about why they're now declining further in some countries. And using the example of Japan, um, which my students find quite amusing. Um, and, you know, on the idea that men don't, you know, there's a, this stereotype that men Japanese men don't want to be intimate. So birth rate has dropped massively for that reason. Um, and there is a little element of that and that's quite funny cause they pick up on that and it's, you gotta be careful. They don't pick up on little things yes. too much, um, but there is an element of that in Japan cause they have those festivals to try and encourage people to have babies and, and things. Um, So, yeah, I I find it a really fascinating topic because, you know, it's not a blanket. This is why things change. And so China's birth rate was definitely going to drop all over the country because its it's countryside probably wouldn't have done for quite a while yet. But the cities always were going to. Um, And especially if there is a lack of, you know, if people are going into sort of declining circumstances they are less likely to have children anyway so that whole malthusian idea was probably going to come true whatever potentially if you believe that kind of thing but then technology steps in doesn't it and changes things so
0: i mean whether this comes to pass or not whether this is true or not but i would make an educated guess an educated prediction that there's huge huge economic development in China you know they are f- quickly becoming you know the richest country in the world but it's not just that it's not just that this you know the spread of wealth they're, they're very much overheated in the east and, and those cities in, in the center but that they're, they're coming very very those people are becoming affluent very very quickly and naturally you're right they will be focusing on their careers they'll be focusing on mostly will be choosing to start families all those things that you just said and the incentives to have more children are just not going to override this element that they just want to live like the world of capitalism the world of consumerism the world of you know of comfort of luxury that you know it's, they've gone through this entire demographic process as you just said so you had the little emperor syndrome which was um when not all couples because it, i i thought it was quite that was a single story it was a bit of a stereotype like that but you had some mm-hmm. some families who would have this child, which they would spoil because it was their only child. I think there was a bit of an overplay on the little empress syndrome, but it was it was a phenomenon. And now you might have maybe the opposite impact, because if couples are, are encouraged to have two or three children, but they still want their career, they still want that, and they're quite affluent, there could be this possibility that those three children will be put into daycare quite a lot will be looked after Mm. by nannies and then they probably might not be having that much connection with it and so again the society and the culture will change again when chinese culture traditionally is very family orientated
1: that's the same though at the moment like you've got a lot of grandparents doing the childcare in the cities and also the pressure on making sure that your child is um academically great Doing extracurricular, doing extra classes. The money's going into that for the people that can yeah. afford it. There's almost like that keeping up with other children. You know, Japan was always known for that, you know, pushing their children really hard, going to night school after having been at school and those yeah. kind of things. I think China's going that way a little bit in those, um, obviously not the whole country and not everybody, but in certain people living in cities who can afford to do so and who have got good education themselves are pushing their children to that so if you then have two three children you can't afford to do that for all your yeah. children you know it, it gets expensive i know like my two dancing six days a week between them is freaking expensive <laughs> so you can imagine you know it's just not something you want to have to do with all your children so i just think social norms have changed and it's just you know it's, we're talking about you know you look at things like um gender inequality and things like that across the world in various places one of the reasons that it's allowed to happen is because of social norms as soon as those social norms change they're generally not going to change back and they take a long time to change so the countries where you know the idea of large families is now dropping i mean bangladesh the way that bangladesh have changed their birth rate was amazing in the way it was small scale and seems to have worked really really well they're not going to Go backwards on that because now the norm is to have small families on the whole not everybody yeah. obviously but those changes are important but you, you china can't just go well we're now saying everyone have three so everyone's going to go okay we'll have three unless you chuck loads of money at them and i don't think they're going to do that
0: well this is a really interesting thing and anybody listening if you're if you've got strong connections to, to China, Japan, Bangladesh, you know, this podcast is for you and it'll be absolutely wonderful to get um, your perspective and your insight into, in you know, from from the actual locations that these are taking place because we, you know, we're just pundits and comment, commentators really on this side of the world as typical Westerners like to do. Okay. Yeah. I know you know the answer, but, but we'll ask you anyway, because it's, it's part of the thing. So then we know that the, the one child policy was, was, Ditched kinda sort of became a two child policy in twenty sixteen and twenty twenty one we now have a three child policy if we're gonna call it that. But Hina, when did the one child policy come into effect?
1: Nineteen
0: seventy nine. Yeah so that was you probably would have the easiest easiest one i think out of all of the jog your memories <laughs> so i just want to go back to the one thing that i said a bit more is that this whole um you know thinking about victoria's tweet about trying to get those those stories into thing one thing that i used to love teach and i've mentioned this in a podcast pr- um, episode previously so i won't go too detailed in this but i used to love teach about plate tectonics and volcanoes and earthquakes but I really got quite dismayed that the kids really focused on the whiz-bang element, the fantastic, you know, the great footage and stuff like that, um, you know, almost treating it like it was an Avengers movie rather than a, rather than a bleeding geography thing. And so I tried to bring in a human, a uh, human element into it by telling stories of like real victims or rescue workers and things like that. And, uh, you know, I had kids in tears at one point because they realized that this was a tragic thing, which was decimating people's lives. And, um, so have you had it doesn't have to be about geography it could be something you've taught about but has there been an occasion where you've you've picked up someone's story or a group of people's stories which is which has brought the humanity into something that was lacking like again it could have been a geography lesson or it could be just something that in your walk of life
1: yeah i mean with geography there's quite a few of the charity websites like unicef i mean i've done a lot of work with the unicef rights in schools um and save the children and things like that they do take that aspect really really well so when climate change when we started really sort of going into depth on it a few probably well quite a few years ago now seven eight years ago um UNICEF did a whole pack of things on impact of ch- climate change on children and taking children from remote, you know, like Vanuatu and places like that and giving their stories and this is how they, they're they going to be impacted on. Um, and I think that was sort of the starting point of really thinking about it on such a small scale of individual children. and about This individual child, we can name them, here's a picture of them, this is what's happening to them, this is their story behind this. Um, there was a really good one when they were looking at... Um, refugee children um and children in conflict and they had um, a syrian girl and she sort of drawn a cartoon of her life if you remember that one and again very real it was a child she'd drawn this is what my house was like exactly like a lot of houses they the children were teaching live in um and this is what happened to my house and this is what's happening to me now and yeah i just don't think i think you know when they see it on their level it's really really important sort of to understand it from there um and, you know as a tutor i would say to my tutor group you know you've got you don't know what people are going through so you've always got to be kind and when we do thought for the weeks which is something we do in my school like on a weekly thing i always try and make that an empathy thing you know link yeah. it to somebody that they might know now i've got children in my tutor group who are in care and i would never say to them this has happened to this child in this room but i will say you all know somebody and i'm not going to mention any names but there's people that have gone through this not saying exactly what they've been through but you know trauma etc so yeah i think it's really important to bring it down to their level it's not just something that happens to someone yeah. somewhere else or if it does here's a face here's how it would affect them imagine you were in that position you know we've got to do more of that
0: you know there, there could be people listening thinking well isn't this just another kind of woke thing where where you're just trying to teach kids that they're privileged and they don't have and that was the pushback like acute some elements calling people snowflakes but I think it's all for the better. I mean, more people are talking about mental health now. More people are opening up about, you know, issues that they have. It's not a bad thing. So, and it's done, as you said, Tina, in a really positive way um, through schools and geography is a fantastic vehicle for that.
1: And we're not trying to be, I think it's like where we live in a privileged society, we're not going, we want to be the saviours. You know, one of my year thirteens talking to her, she wants to go to university at some point, probably, but she's sort of changing her mind a little bit. She's going to go for a gap year. I said, what are you going to do? She said, I'm not sure yet. She said, I'd like to go and travel and I'd like to do some sort of charity work, but I'm mindful of the fact that she said her own words. I don't want to do that thing where you go somewhere and you build a, a school when they've got no teachers to work in that wow, school yeah. or equipment to use in that school. I, you know, There's this thing about being a white saviour and I'm not going to go and do that because that's silly. I need to find the right kind of... Charity, you know, maybe I do go and teach it somewhere for a little while or do something like that where I'm actually going to be useful and I'm not just doing it as a token. Here's something we're going to give you because we can, but actually it's going to be no use to at all. So, you know just hearing that from a student you've taught for a couple of years it's just it's just amazing like yeah absolutely that's exactly what we're thinking and it is it's about having the empathy um and understanding what can be done to change things without going we're the ones that have to change it i don't know if you've seen it was a few years old now there's a save the children um one minute life in a minute thing of um basically a child in the uk as if War was starting here. that was
0: very powerful.
1: And that was, I remember showing that to classes and they're just being complete silence and shock afterwards because you're like, never thought of it like that. And it is exactly that, normal life. This is how your life can change if that happened. Now that never should happen here, but that's what's happened in countries around the world. And to give them that, it's a shock factor. Yes, it is, but it's putting it in their context because otherwise it's just stuff that happens to other people, um, which it is, but they need to understand the impact it can have without thinking, Everything's wonderful for us, and we can go and save them because it's not like that.
0: Yeah, it's very, very important point you made there, and kudos to that student as well. Well, that, we would say that look, when we work with young people, we this is what we know they can be. They are, you know, there's the stereotype of teenagers mm-hmm. and young people and things like that, but we know that they they can be very thoughtful, very very kind about what they do. And that's the vast majority of the time. So that's one of the reasons why we do what we do. So thank you for that, Hina. So we're gonna come come to a close now because um, we're running out of time. And we're gonna finish off with um, what we do every time um, we finish off, which is something called We Are All Geographers. And that is where we try to connect one guest to another. And the previous guest, we had the fabulous Helen Young, or better known as the Geography Geek, came on last time. And she was challenged by the guest before that, Dr. Hammond Bloomfield, with the word trampoline to link it to Geography. She just wanted it to be completely random, and she was. Helen smashed it, like completely, you know, well, didn't take a hammer and mallet and smashed a trampoline. She she, <laughs> she, perfectly, you know, you can probably guess, you know, the different components, globalization, all that kind of stuff, and then where the metals was come from boom done now Helen has come up with a really interesting word for you Hina that you've got 30 seconds to try and link to geography yeah. right and that word is the paranormal can you link the paranormal to geography would you like a little bit of time to think about it or do you want to crack on with your 30 seconds mm.
1: okay yeah I'll crack okay. on I think
0: so yeah on your marks 30 seconds here now to link paranormal to geography. Go
1: okay so location so where paranormal activity has been seen um or has been sensed so you know you've got like area whatever it's called in america you've got those different locations so they're going to be linked to something so it could be linked to um, mining or um, mountains or rivers or something about people and location and population which means that they're more likely to happen in some Mm. areas than others um so i think geographically if there is paranormal activity it's going to be based on geographical features whether it be human or physical that happen around the world yeah,
0: okay that's not a bad attempt that's quite good that's a tricky one isn't it i think Helen set up, set up <laughs> yeah. the right one there yeah and i was i was thinking when i was trying to come up with some things like this i was thinking about you know as a meteorologist like weather uh, lenticular clouds for example that look like ufos Oh yeah, I you know people have it. mistaken that concept, even weather balloons as ufos and stuff like that you're absolutely right you were talking about area 51 there and and what was that statistic we saw that like the number of ufo sightings always seemed to go up around about eleven, twelve, one o'clock at night. It was because of people oh, really? like leaving they bars and being drunk and thinking they're seeing So you know, something like that. But anyway, it was really, really <laughs> just... <laughs>
1: Well, the the reason that came into my head was because of, I don't know if you've seen that there's this program called Resident Alien. Um, It was a sky show and the beautiful setting that that was in with the mountains and he'd landed in the mountains. It was absolutely gorgeous. And that's what triggered the whole geography thing because it was just beautiful. So it's a funny program, but it was a setting. was just amazing.
0: The only alien landing in the mountains that matters is first contact with the Vulcans in 2063. (laughs) (laughs) Bozeman, Montana. Anyway, so um, so Helen got (laughs) you paranormal i think you did quite a good job there you've got to come up with a word for our next guest what do you what are you going to go for
1: oh that's tricky isn't it hmm the the word that's coming into my head which i don't know if it's any use or not is discombobulated and i have no (laughs) idea why that is in my head
0: oh i think you should go with that
1: Okay. Yeah. That's the word in my head for some weird reason, so let's go with that.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. right, just got populated This is just getting more random. Alright. Okay. Before we lose ourselves, come on, give me some shout outs. Anyone you want to give a shout out to?
1: Uh, well, geography community. I, I, we've mentioned Rob before, but I think Rob Chambers was one of the first people I sort of connected with on Twitter and sort of, sort of helped me out with a few little things. Um, and I just think he's quietly brilliant. He's not one of the people that shouts about stuff and, you know, has a big presence all the time. But he just seems, like having met him in the Wonder Rooms, he seems like such a fab guy. Um, and I'm a bit disappointed that next year I'm not going to be doing the same specs as he is because I'm going to have to find other ways to keep it in contact with him. But um, yeah, I, I just think he's absolutely fabulous. Um, and another shout out to someone who may or may not listen to this depending whether i give her the link or not um it's my (laughs) colleague anna edwards who i've worked with for many many years now um and i absolutely love her um and she's kept me really sane this year particularly um but she's always been there and she's brilliant and she's an amazing geographer as well um she doesn't do twitter and all that kind of thing but she is an amazing geographer um and an amazing all-round person so yeah those are the two that i would go awesome
0: and um for people looking to expand their feed community how can um, they find you on social media
1: uh so i'm at Robojog um on twitter um i think that's about the only place you can find RoboJog, me says
0: r-o-b-b-o oh, jog.
1: yeah jog yep. um and yeah obviously be more part of the ga as of september so i'll be contactable. Yeah. That way as Absolutely.
0: well, which I'm really looking forward to. Yay. No, that's yeah, that's awesome, and congratulations for that post. Thank you. So well done. Well, thank you so much, Hina. I really enjoyed our chat, and uh, I know we we will chat more as um, because we chat quite a lot another time. And uh, I will speak to you soon. Thank you, Hina.
1: Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for listening. We hope you had fun. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe so more stories and experiences can drop into your favourite podcast app. If you fancy being a guest or have any feedback, follow us on Twitter at coffeegeogpod and send us a DM. Or you can email Geog at geogramblings.com. Until next time, keep geogging.